Welcome to Empowered Communication. I am Meredith Hawley, a workplace conflict mediator, communication coach, and attorney. And I'm Megan Mellon, a social impact strategist focused on large-scale systems change. This podcast is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended to substitute for legal advice or for therapy. Laws are different in every state in the United States, especially when it comes to employment law and in every country, they're also different. If you have concerns about your workplace experience, we encourage you to seek counseling, seek therapy, seek any modality that might help you and to get legal advice from an attorney in your area. You've heard about the power of positive feelings. Today, we're gonna talk about the power of negative feelings. Why do we have a hard time asking for what we want at work? Why is it hard to know what to say to a bully or even to find the words? And what might we stand to gain from listening in or leaning closer to our negative feelings rather than avoiding them or drawing away? Today's episode is going to pull on the second of our three pillars of empowered communication, which are boundaries, reprogramming hegemony, and accountability. Today, we're focusing on reprogramming hegemony. So Meredith, reprogramming hegemony is a seven-syllable term that contains so many keys to freedom. Tell us what it means. Please break down both what you mean by reprogramming and what you mean by hegemony. Yeah. So hegemony, as we've talked about, is a term that you might know from debate class in high school, or you might know it from a feminism class you took in college. But hegemony is the idea that there is a dominant group that has power over non-dominant groups. And then the system of power becomes self-sustaining because the people who are not dominant start imposing it against each other and imposing it against ourselves. So it's the idea that we maintain our own oppression unconsciously. Reprogramming that is the idea of shifting our thinking, essentially, so that we're not buying into systems that oppress us. It can sound like a little bit conceptual, but in my experience, there are actually just a few very practical steps people can take to change their minds. Got it. So I feel like this is, okay, first off, I think I also recounted the syllables, reprogramming, hegemony. I think that's eight <laughs> Not <laughs> syllables. Bonus okay. syllable. You know, I'm counting quickly. Okay. Eight syllables, so much liberation. So what I'm hearing you say is that hegemony refers to a situation where there is a dominant power, a supremo type. This is how we want to be. We want to be the royals, not the serfs. But then the serfs learn, oh, we have to police each other to do what's right for the royals, even though the royals are non-benevolent overlords. But then here we are as serfs, we're so scared, we're walking on eggshells, we're convincing each other to stay safe by walking on eggshells, and none of it's serving us. Right. It is serving the non-benevolent overlords, but we stop remembering that we are cowering in fear and we are selling our own equality down the river because we have been so completely convinced 
that this is our proper order in the world. Right. Like some really easy examples of it are sort of like tone policing people. So like women telling other women, if you had just said that in a nicer way, people could hear you. If you had been more assertive, you would have gotten the job. If you wore different clothing, then you would have a different experience when in reality, the other woman is having an experience based on structures of sexism Mm -hmm. that exist in the world, not based on her choice of clothes or her tone or anything bad that she is doing. Teaching each other to be more palatable to whatever authority figure Mm -hmm. reference point has been established. That's not us. It's not authentic to us, Mm -hmm. but we're trying to act like the good class so that we blend in with them and don't get harmed. But actually when we're over there acting like them and trying to blend in with the dominant party, we're actually not over here doing what's right for either us or for everybody. Right. Even when two women are criticizing each other instead of questioning the system that is not allowing them to proceed, that's energy used to perpetuate the hegemony. When white women criticize black women for their tone, that is actions that we're taking to perpetuate the imbalance of power or like in, is it second wave feminism, the old kind of white lady feminism where we were like, Oh, sorry, people of color, like white ladies have to get free first. Then we'll come for you. Otherwise the movement's too broad. Like that is an example of where we're like, well, only the palatable ones can get saved first. Sorry. So it's actually people turning against each other rather than linking arms. And now rightly black lives matter is like, hello, we're not doing that anymore. That didn't actually happen. It didn't work. Also, it didn't actually free the white ladies. Look where we are right now. So we've seen movies already in this century and we are not trying to do that anymore. And so that is why we are reprogramming. And when you say we, when you say reprogramming hegemony, you are insinuating here that it is possible to reprogram that we can do something about it. Tell us more about that. So I actually think that it's a very simple system to question our thinking and what we see as normal and how that buys into systems and structures that perpetuate oppression. In terms of social power dynamics, most people have areas of privilege and areas of marginalization. Some people pretty much only have areas of privilege. So we're talking about like a cis, straight, white man born into wealth, athletic. And marriage with two yeah. kids, everything you would expect. Mentally well. Physically um, fit. They're yes. fitting the supremo type. They're what we're yeah. supposed to look like if we're going to be on the front page of Forbes. Yeah. So that person might have all privilege, but a lot of people with marginalized characteristics also have some privilege characteristics. So for example, you and I are white women. We're women, which is non-dominant. It is marginalized, but it's not as marginalized as non-binary folks or trans folks. So we still have, even in that dynamic, we have some privilege and whiteness is like a total privilege characteristic. We're able-bodied, we're mentally well and engaging mental growth. So we have a lot of privilege and we have a small set of marginalization where we can kind of understand how that is. So when you shift your thinking, you have to question what you see as normal. And a lot of times what you see as normal, you know, because you get triggered. So this is why the negative feeling component of this is kind of the key. Because you know 
when your body reacts, you have a trigger, you have a fear response, you have an anger response, you have some kind of charge that is uncomfortable, right? And it's funny to call feelings, negative feelings and positive feelings. I kind of dispute that. I think there's feelings that are comfortable. There's feelings that are uncomfortable. Sometimes even what we call positive feelings are kind of uncomfortable. So it's kind of a weird designation, but we'll just say like painful or uncomfortable feelings and like comfortable feelings. So you have a painful feeling. There's an event that happens in the world. You have a painful feeling. That is a signal that you think something's gone not normal. Like a smoke detector. Yeah. It's like error detection, abnormality alert, beep, beep, beep. And that, that can be a signal that you're unsafe, that there is something that you actually need to remove yourself from, that you need to set a boundary with, that you need to adjust or call 911, do what you need to protect yourself. It also can be a signal that you have some hegemony, that you are now going to act out to oppress somebody else or to oppress yourself, right? So those signals can be a radar that we think something is not normal. Then what you have to do is you have to write out or talk out all the thoughts that you have about that topic if it's not an actual danger situation, right? If it is a dangerous situation, if you need to set a boundary, you don't need to like interrogate that and go into it. If it's not actually a threat to you or a danger, that's some space to say, do I have some hegemonic programming in here that Mm -hmm. is oppressing me or that's going to weaponize me against somebody else? So that kind of makes sense. Well, I want to like slow it down because I think that was really thought provoking. So like, you say there's a situation. The situation starts setting off negative feelings. Many of us were taught, well, where I grew up in the Midwest, <laughs> I sometimes say like, it's almost like having feelings was a little bit like catching chicken pox. Like if you have them in your house, everyone is really glad that you stayed home and are taking time for your, to deal with that. Right. But if you bring them into a public space People are like, what are you doing out of your house? Everyone's going to catch it. It's like a pandemic that people are hiding from. And you wouldn't want to do it outside because other people could catch the feelings. And also there's the idea that if you catch the feelings, then if you actually let yourself feel them, then it'll happen forever. Like there's a lot of myths about how feelings are bad for the workplace, bad for people. And I got to say at age almost 37, I'm cusping on 37 now. It's not true. Someone, I think in yoga school said emotions. It's like an emotion. It's energy and motion. And here you're like, no, you have a feeling. It's like a smoke alarm. It's like beep, beep. It's a signal. Mm -hmm. It's not, you felt anger and you let yourself. So now you're going to fly into a violent rage and just get stuck as an angry person forever. No, but it does mean your smoke alarm is going off. Mm -hmm. If it's going off in the middle of the night, then you go and you, you know, stand on the chair and you poke the button and you find out if it's actually a fire Mm -hmm. or if the thing is going off. Then you're saying, if the thing is going off and there's a signal, it could mean different things. It could mean there is a fire or there's smoke. You know, you need to take action. And if you catch that, the good part about not ignoring the alarm is, you can catch it at smoke. Your house is going to burn down. You can find out, oh, it's the curling iron. My bad. And you can deal with it. Right. However, you are also saying that sometimes that alarm starts going off and it can make us into werewolf versions of ourselves. Like it can drive us to do stuff where we become the hegemon. It's like 
the moon is out and we turn into werewolf mode and either because we are moved reactively by that blaring, we act out and perform or harm either to other people or ourselves. And I want to give some examples. I think that as white people, some of us, or as people with a lot of privilege, I think some of us can relate to this even as kids, right? Like when kids don't get what they want, sometimes that's valid. They're really hungry. They need food. Right. The food fell on the ground. You're not actually going to let them eat the food in the mud. They're losing their minds. It makes perfect sense, right? But sometimes you'll watch a kid lose it because somebody else got the corn dog that they wanted. Right. And they go, I didn't get what I deserved. Everyone's going to pay for this. And then the tirade, you know, begins. And for kids, we get it. But like, as adults, we do that too. Right. We give ourselves this private license to just scorch the earth or punch down. And that is us behaving regressively as a hegemon to others, misusing privilege. That can be an abuse cycle. The second one you said is we can become hegemonic or we can act out the hegemon to ourselves. Right. Or maybe that looks like the alarm goes off. I feel like how that could look in me is me being like, oh my God, I shouldn't have said that. What's wrong with me? Who am I? Why can't I get over this? How do I even work here? It's self-antagonism. It's self-attacking, but I don't even recognize it as somebody else's voice that I'm policing in myself. You know, it's not my true self. She doesn't talk like that about people. Yeah. One subtle way that I see it happen a lot is when we genuinely want to protect ourselves or somebody else. And so we're trying to get back to what seems normal. So for -hmm. example, I have a lot of older women attorneys very kindly tell me, you know, things are unfair. So you're just going to have to work twice as hard as the men around you. And that is kind of them to say, also me believing I need to work twice as hard as the men around me. It might be a one way to encounter sexism. It also is part of hegemony. And when we say, yes, I now will work twice as hard as men, that's just the way it is. We accept the reality and we perpetuate it. And we forget to have compassion. We forget that we made those old agreements. Why am I now only accomplishing 70% Mm -hmm. of expectation? Well, we've loaded our expectations of ourselves 2x. And so if we're still accomplishing 70%, it turns out that's, Mm -hmm. I don't know the math of more than what we would have done, but we forget it. I think also along this point, the way that it comes from the outside and then we say it again and again to Mm -hmm. ourselves is one of the biggest rubs. So here we are saying this is the hegemony and reprogramming involves, like you said, writing it down, diagramming. Hey, wait a minute. I'm not just going to be like, it's imposter syndrome. What do I do about my imposter syndrome? We're like, no, we need to write it down. We need to get it on paper. We need to inventory the thoughts Because you have a really interesting point about how maybe their thoughts that we pulled in or agreements like this kind of women have, you're just going to have to work twice as hard. That's the playbook. We internalize it and then we forget. You have a really interesting thought about how thoughts become beliefs. Right. So uh, Byron Katie has, this isn't exactly how she says it, but she's like a wisdom enlightened teacher. Um, And she says that like our beliefs are just the thoughts that we think all the time. She tells this story that her belief system was these damn kids need to pick up their socks. (laughs) Like, cause she just thought that over and over and over again. This is kind of a simple example, but when she interrogated that thought, 
she realized I could actually pick up these socks and then they would be picked up and it's no yeah. problem. And she started joyfully picking up the sock. There wasn't all this energized dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. About the socks. So the socks stopped being an issue and the kids started picking up their socks. Cause she was just doing it. It's like that culture just got created. So the gridlock, the fight. Yeah. And another example about when our beliefs about what is normal, our hegemonic beliefs about what is normal can sort of weaponize us and create unsafe situations. Like one of the most common examples of this I see is on the internet, on social media, when a black woman says words, white women have to monitor it somehow. Like and correct it often. We have to go in and say, your tone is wrong. Your words are wrong. You're uneducated. You're unprofessional. Like there's just this like compulsion to go fix something. I'm not trying to justify that behavior because it's obviously not okay behavior. But like, I think often internally, the white women are trying to help the black woman be more safe. Because as white women, we are trained now, whether it's true or not, the storylines of hegemony are like, if only you earned, if only you earned your safety by complying with these very straightforward rules, but surprise, it doesn't actually work like that. So I think as white women, we get trained that we need to earn our safety by complying with the white cis hetero patriarchy machine. Like if only we optimized well enough for the comfort and palatability of I'm going to put white men in quotes here. It's not actual white men, men who have it's to whiteness. have skin, yeah. but it's like this con- constructed idea of what, what makes white men comfortable. And so as white women, here we are sometimes in good intentions, which is very confusing and gaslighting, coaching black women to just be more palatable to white men in this patriarchy structure. But guess what? There's no cookies no. for them. The, the cookies only apply to white women who do that. I and think I mean, the do biggest... they even apply to us? Like I, the cookies are not real. No, and the it's cookies not do real not problem. show up as expected. The vigor is delayed. Where are the cookies? <laughs> because I, I'll tell you, I think one of the ways that shows up for me is, and it's confusing. Some people get really surprised that women end up with misogynistic or anti-woman beliefs. Mm. We're the biggest experts at it. We We grow up in this society and we learn it's going to hurt us. It's very confusing because even as a white woman, I have ended up with internalized misogyny. And one of the biggest examples for me is I learned growing up in Kansas, I should be not bossy, yes, approachable. Yeah. All right. So I move that into my career in tech and I'm approachable and not bossy. And so everybody wants and gets my help. But then as I ascend in my career, actually, it turns out I'm not bossy enough and I'm too approachable. Yeah. And I don't regard myself as the source of the belief that I can't afford to be bossy or else I will threaten people. Like, I don't think it's me. No. I just think that's how the world is. And so in the end, I love this Byron Katie quote, our beliefs, our thoughts, we think all the time, because the more I forget that thinking bossy, bad, approachable, good, the harder and more confusing it is, you know, was to get feedback from my uh, managerial structure and my sponsorship structure. I need you to do less, tell people exactly what to do and stop doing what people want. Right. And inside of myself, I'm like, that's going to get me killed. Well, is it actually going to get me killed? Or did I just learn that's going to get me killed? So here I'm in the, this is the pickle because we comply with these standards that are hegemonic that say we are second class. We hold ourselves small. We hold ourselves second class. It's harming us. It's robbing our environments of our true genius. Right. And yet 
we are locked in this invisible thinking and belief structure. And we forgot that actually, even if we didn't make up the belief, some people say you made up the, you know, I made up the story. I don't actually buy that. I think a lot of these stories get fed to us. I think they get fed to us recurringly, but by the reprogramming piece, you are standing for us that we can inventory the beliefs. We can identify the spooky ones or the ones that aren't serving us anymore. And we can triage them to change our behavior and take back the power. And I think it's important to also say in this area that this is as everything that we've talked about, tools can be, they can build a house or they can kill you, right? Like most of us are taught to second guess ourselves all the time, which can sound like reprogramming hegemony. And it is not that mm-hmm. uh, most of us have had some leader or teacher tell us, well, if you have a problem, you are the problem. Like mm-hmm. if you talk about the problem, if you question things, then you are the problem. And that is not how these tools are meant to be used, right. but they can be used to reperpetuate hegemony, ironically. Right. right. So you have to be intentional about this. It's so- a model for it, right? I mean, we can do it in community and we can also do it sort of systematically. So you have a tool right? so that it's not so confusing, right? How are we using this? And are we harming ourselves or harming somebody else? You have a tool that helps people untangle this stuff. You call it impact, which I find very smart because it frees us up to make an impact that actually is in our best interest on our own behalf. Bell hooks define agency as the ability to act in our own best interests. Mm-hmm. I freaking love that. Collective agency would be reclaiming the capacity to act in our own collective best interests. My favorite. Yeah. So what is the impact model and how can people use it to start that practice of disentangling what is the hegemon and what is us? So the impact model is a model of managing our thinking, identifying where we are having thoughts that are creating feelings. So like we talked about, the feeling is usually the alert. It's the alarm, the fire alarm, like you said. It's the thing that we notice, but our feelings are created by our thoughts. And so the impact model is a model that you can use to um, look at what you're thinking now and then test out what other thinking would look like and track your thinking towards how you want to feel, how you deserve to feel, or the goals that you have and how you want to act towards those goals. So I'll walk through the steps of the impact model. It's basically an acrostic acronym. So love it. Love it. I remember acrostic poems. It's yes. not quite a poem. It's even better because it's a framework, but yeah. Impact. It means each letter means something. Yeah. Each letter is its own sort of element of life. So Mm -hmm. in any moment, we say there's an incident, that's the external neutralized reality outside of you and outside of your control. So when we do an incident line, that's the first step towards de-escalating and questioning whether we have options. Mm -hmm. Some people, they say that reality is inherently neutral. Mm -hmm. I actually don't necessarily agree that reality is inherently neutral, but I think that our external reality that's outside of our control is something that we can intentionally neutralize so that we can see other options. 
The second line is the meaning line. This is the thought that we have about the external reality. And our thought is in one sentence or less, one sentence, one phrase. It's not all of our thoughts. You just test out one thought. So I line is the incident. The M line is the meaning. The P line is the physiology. So physiology, I use that word because we feel it in our abdomen. So there's something occurs in the external reality and it's outside of our control. We have a thought about it and our thought creates a feeling. If I look at you, I don't want to do it with you. If I look at the plant that's sitting in your office and I'm like, this plant has fangs and it is coming to kill me. It knows how to get through the computer screen or the podcast airways. It's going to come in through my ears. Like if I think that thought enough times, this is why I can't watch scary movies. Like I will get really whipped up. The meaning will be, I'm not safe right here on this podcast, like, cause I'm gonna get myself all elevated. And then it's funny if I think that thought enough times, my palms are already starting to be like, oh my God, is it true? Like the physiology means like my palms are getting a little bit sweaty. I'm feeling like contraction in my heart. Mm-hmm. So we're tracing how the incident is like, I am looking at the plant with this thinking, right? Mm-hmm. I see the plant, but I'm thinking it has fangs and this mm-hmm. scary ability, and then I'm I'm tracing that all the way through. Mm-hmm. Often the easiest way to think about this concept is that if you walk into a room and there's 20 people in the room, they're going to have 20 different thoughts about you and 20 oh. different feelings about you. Most of us have had that happen or most of us have had an experience where someone has a wrong idea about us. We clear it up and then they have a different feeling about us or we have a wrong idea about somebody else. We learn something new. We change our thought. We have a different feeling about that person. Mm -hmm. A lot of times the first hurdle in using the impact model is um, we are so trained that other people's actions create our feelings and our actions create other people's feelings. And in some ways it's fair to say that because we have these pre-programmed, socially acceptable emotional responses to certain actions. But the problem with it is it's not ultimately true. Like even if you are having a reasonable feeling about somebody's actions, you have a thought about it that creates that reasonable feeling. Right. There's another common example of this that's like five people unfortunately see a car crash three of them say oh my god i'm glad it wasn't me the fourth one says i'll never recover and the fifth says i'm so grateful for every future day of my life Mm -hmm. right it's like and i think this is the difference of like i felt scared because i heard about the car crash i felt scared when i heard about the car crash because people can react differently okay so you said imp incident Meaning physiology, how is it in the body? Physiology, you also, what you want to do is you want to use one word to describe the feeling in your body. So what you said is exactly right. Like sweaty palms, tenseness in your chest. Yeah. But we might call that fear. We might call it anxiety. So scared would be okay. So So it could be a feeling word, but it's like to capture the impression of what's happening in the body. Yeah, it is. It it is a feeling word. Yeah. Yeah. Then A. Incident, meaning, physiology, action. So our feelings, Mm -hmm. our physiology motivates what we do or what we don't do related to Mm -hmm. the external event, right? Like I'm scared, so I'm probably going to run away or in this case, act like I'm fine. Yeah. And pretend I didn't see it. Like I'm not actually going to fight you because you're 
one, my friend and two, you're on a screen yeah. slash in a podcast. So like, what am I even going to do? But that kind of thing, right? It like provokes us into some kind of action in relationship to the feeling. Yeah. And baseline, this is when we do kind of talk about negative or positive feelings. So some feelings motivate us to act. So that would be more positive. But mm-hmm. anger is one of the feelings that motivates us to act, right? And we often call that a negative feeling. Fear, honestly, mo- often motivates us to act. And then there's feelings that motivate us to not act, to withdraw. So like when we feel depressed, it's harder to get out of bed because it's harder to do anything, right? So when you feel sad, you yeah. might sleep more. Yeah. So that's the A line incident, meaning physiology, action, and then consequence, because all of our actions have consequences in our external Mm. reality or no consequence. Like if we do nothing, nothing changes. That's sort of the consequence, right? But if I'm afraid of your plant and then I either flee or pretend it's not happening, then I either feel stuck if I pretend it's not happening or if I can't stop thinking about it because I was like, oh my God, this thing happened to me. There was this plan today and I ran away, but it's still there. I'm like, if I go back, it'll be there. That could be, I might put those in the A line actually. So okay. what I would say as a consequence is the plant gets the room, right? Oh no. Yeah. And the podcast stops, right? Yeah. Yeah. Unless I tell you and then you're like, okay, I'll do it without the plan. Or we talk about how this is actually all from the idea that the plant has things, which in fact it does not. Or you say, so in this example, <laughs> I think it's helpful sometimes to use absurdity. Like these are hard issues. Like no one wants to think about the real case. So that is why I'm sorry to the plant. I know you don't have bangs. Fuck you but... through the dangerous plant <laughs> impact model. Okay. <laughs> The incident line, because you neutralize it, would be there is a plant on a Zoom, Mm -hmm. right? And then your thought is... (laughs) I literally am sweating right now because we're practicing the activity. Mm -hmm. That plant is going to attack me or that plant Mm -hmm. plant's going to kill me. And then you feel scared. Then you run away. Plant gets the podcast is the consequence. Yeah. But then one of the actions that you said is run away, but then think about the plant all the time. What if you come over and you bring it, but I haven't yeah. told you, you know, like yeah. you're not, you're not safe. It's still in existence. Like it's not complete. Right. So then we say in the consequence line, the plant gets the podcast, the plant gets my brain also. <laughs> it's like living rent free in your head. That's oh. what I do as a theme usually. So the T line is the theme line. In any life experience, there are these five elements and it's the incident, meaning physiology, action and consequence, right? There's right. The external reality that's outside of our control, that's the incident. There's what we make that mean or what we've been programmed to make that mean if we're not interrogating it. Like the internal interpretation. Right. Then there's the physiology, the chemical release into our bodies of a feeling. Mm -hmm. And then there's the action that we take based on that feeling. And then there's the consequence. But then in all of this, when you're looking at it in terms of reprogramming hegemony, you want to look at the themes in your life. You want to look at how often do I let the monster plant have free rent in my brain? So sometimes I'll just put free rent as a theme. For me, I used to have this pattern of overworking and then my brain would just go on this like tangent of 
everybody hates you. Everything you're doing is terrible. Like this is the worst ever. You're failing at everything. Why are you so bad at this? And what I realized at some point when after doing a lot of like writing down my thoughts, running them through impact models is that I was tired and needed a nap. And my brain would melt down when I was tired and needed a nap. Because even in the moment, I could be like, this isn't really true, but this is so persistent. And like, I feel so terrible. And so I would just call it the theme, give up or take a nap. Like that would be the theme, but we all have these themes. It could be like, honestly, self-abuse, self-sexism, sexism in general, racism. It could be self-empowerment. So usually when we're going through and reprogramming our thoughts and how they create our communication in a more empowered way, we want our theme to be self-empowerment so that our thinking is consistently empowering ourselves. It could be love, like love is an empowering place. So it could be self-love as a theme. The theme evaluates whatever the meaning line is creating for you. So what your thoughts are creating. Mm, So like, okay, as I'm just diagramming what's actually happening, In this situation, I will say there is a theme in my life where I zero in on people's capacity for violence. Okay. Mm. It's just a theme. Like I'm like, I can't write on the internet. Oh, Megan, why can't you write on the internet? Well, because I would want to like talk about company. You know, I want to talk about tech Mm. companies. I met Kara Swisher once who's a totally badass tech journalist. And like she wears sunglasses and writes all the truth. And at the end, I like went up to her, I got all my courage. And I was like, what's the worst thing they've ever done to you? And she like put her sunglasses up and she was like, in the kindest voice, she was like, honey, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. And I was like, like, did they come to your house? Like, do they like, you know, like Paul Pelosi, God forbid, got that guy broke in and attacked him with a hammer. I'm like, Mm -hmm. like in my mind, like I'm not saying things online that would like critique Mm. industry because I'm pretty sure they come to your house and like kill you in the night. I don't know why I'm, but like, she was like, no, she was like, I'm not cruel. I'm fair. But she was kind of like, they actually really like when I talk about them. Mm -hmm. Like it's not personal. And I was just flabbergasted because I was like, how much have I not been saying? So even though I made up the plant example, it's actually is on theme that I would make that up out of everything in the room like zeroing in on an entity's capacity for physical violence is the thing that scares the jeepers out of me the mm. most. But so when when I diagram it originally, I might say, okay, this is what's going on. I look at the theme and be like, mm, something fairly inert or commonplace in your environment secretly has things and is going to physically attack you, causing great vulnerability. Is this familiar? Like, <laughs> like I recognize you, friend. Blind, yeah, yeah. Is this like an oldie, and yeah. it is. But then you're saying that maybe once we go through that flow, we can say, "Hey, wait a minute. Is this a theme that's choosing me, or is this a theme that I am choosing?" So, like right, right. now, I'm calling in GCC, groundedness, centered, calm. Right. This is where I want to be rippling from because that's the ripples I want to like bounce back off the pool edge and come and be back with me. That's what I want. That's how I want to live my life. Right. Yeah, 37. It's going to be a great year. But if I find the theme is like zeroing in on capacity for violence, then I can be like, no, 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 no. Thank you. I would like my theme to be grounded, centered, and calm. And so then I can go back through the incident. The plant is in the room and the theme as my anchor, grounded, centered, and calm. And I could be like, all right, what meaning am I going to make? Now, I think you're saying, I'm going I'm to let you finish, but I don't think you're saying that if that plant has fangs, I should retheme myself. Right. I was going to say, yeah. The plant is 
Not this a problem. That would be self-gaslighting. That's not what we're doing. Right, right. You don't want to zeroing in on the facts versus the interpretation. External reality versus internal interpretation. We can examine the plants. Are there fangs? Does a third party agree that there are fangs or not? Is it inobservable reality? And does that feel neutral? That's where how you create the incident line. So if the fangs don't feel neutral to you, then you're not neutralizing it. But sometimes you want to say there is a plant with teeth or something like that. Thorns. It's a rose. Okay, fine. But the rose is still not actually attacking me yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Most of our programming works like just baseline. Mm -hmm. Like I would say like 90% of most of our programming works. And we know that because we eat food every day. We care for ourselves. We're still alive. Are still alive. We're functional. And our brain's main purpose is to keep us alive. And it is doing it correctly most of the time. And then it's just tweaking it. And so when you do an impact model, you might decide, I'm getting the results I want. I'm having Mm -hmm. the thinking I want to have. I like this. But then you can test out intentional models. So what we're talking about is an unconscious model. We've just pulled out unconscious programming. And even Mm -hmm. for you, like the plant example is silly. The journalism and speaking out about tech, Mm -hmm. I think most of us would say, oh, it's reasonable to have fear around that, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's not irrational. Like you don't, you know, it's not totally... So then if you're doing an intentional model, you kind of reverse it. And this gets a little more complicated, so I'm not going to like go into it. It's typical when I'm coaching people that we go over this a lot. Like it's normal to not get it right away. But you want to say, how do I want to feel? And put Mm. that in the P line. So grounded, centered, and what? Mm, Calm. Calm. So you put that in the P line, in the physiology line. You say, I know I want that. Mm. When I act out of a grounded, centered, calm place, How do I act? You walk down the model. So you go PA. What are the results? What's the consequence of my actions? And then you say, in this space, with this external reality, Mm. what is a thought that would help me feel grounded, centered, and calm right now? Mm. And you just ask your brain. It's going to be different for different people. Reprogramming to be your unique self and listen to your unique body signals and know that you're working in your own authority for your own best interest is unique to different people. You can have sort of boilerplate shifts that you can make. And I can sort of share some of my shifts that I've made around that. But if you ask your brain, what's a thought that would make me feel grounded center, your brain's going to come up with the answer because you're the one. I just did. I'm like, what could I think? I'm like, I want to be calm and my action would be, I will just share about it. Cause before I was like in the hypothetical, I'm like hiding it from you. I'd be like, mm-hmm. if your plant doesn't have creepy teeth and like a homicide tendency, does it? And then you would laugh and the consequence would be connection mm-hmm. because we would have been real and that would be so sweet. And then I would look in this space with this external reality. What is the thought that is going to help me? It would be the self-boundary that I have with media because my imagination, I can do believing a lot. I already am scared of a plant. I really like that's merged with my, the thought that would stop it for me is like, I don't do horror stories. Mm. I actually just don't, whether I see it in like an R-rated movie, like, or Mm. it's just something that I have in my head. I just don't do it. I will check the reality. And if a plant is trying to attack me, I will exit the space. Mm -hmm. If it's not, then I'll be like, I am not catastrophic. This, I will mm-hmm. react to what's real, but I just I can't indulge that part 
mm-hmm. of my own brain. Mm-hmm. And then the reward, like we talked about boundaries last time, is that I feel immense peace. Yeah. And I'm like, great. I ration my media thoughtfully and I trust myself to protect my mind share. Yeah. And that's like that having works. good internal boundaries with your dialogue, yeah. with your self dialogue, right. right? Like, Which we don't is- learn to do, mm-hmm. from, especially when we learn from people that what we should be doing with our inner dialogue is antagonizing ourselves mm-hmm. for the benefit of the feudal lords because we are the serfs and our destiny is to serve others while not actually having what we need to survive. Yeah. So I'm just going to give one example from when I was having my sexual harassment experience. So the incident line in that situation was there's a hand on my shoulder and my unconscious thinking at the time after I wrote it out was maybe I don't deserve respect was one thought that I would put in the meaning line that made me feel humiliated. And then when I felt humiliated, I withdrew and then Mm. I did my work less and I didn't Mm. respect myself was the consequence. And Mm. that theme was self-abuse. So Mm. that was a common one. I also had the thought, maybe I don't belong here. That made me feel alienated. It created similar results. When I rebuilt it out, reprogrammed, did different models out of it. My one of my favorite feelings is belonging. So I tested it out with a feeling of belonging. Like I just love feeling in the right space, you know, like, so I decided I was going to practice belonging because at first when I was doing all this work, I was like, no, no, no. Belonging has to come from other people. Belonging happens when other people behave a certain way. And then I feel it. But what I realized was I wasn't giving myself permission to feel belonging when my pre-programming had trained me that I shouldn't. Right. And that made things really easy for people to oppress me. Right. Because I was giving oppressors the power to tell me whether I felt belonging. Doesn't excuse it, but it served as a way where you were trained to play an enabling role. Right. And someone else taking all your goodies. And that's the only way you knew. And my thing is always like, yeah, it doesn't excuse their oppressive behavior, but I, I at least want to make it tough for them. I don't want to make it easy yeah. for oppressors. Let's have to our own oppress. backs if we can. Once we start to see it, we'll have our own backs. Yeah. So when I ask myself, how could I feel belonging right now? Mm-hmm. And you think about the hand on my shoulder, the thought that came to me was it's a good thing I'm here because otherwise no one would represent this perspective. And that to me mm-hmm. is so accessible mm-hmm. in any space. It's a good thing you're here. Mm-hmm. If you are the only voice that's speaking truth. Oh my God. And I feel like like thinking is a practice and it becomes beliefs. Like you said, when I met you, I'm like, this is one of the most independent, unique, and authentically of service thinkers that I have ever met. And so when I hear the story, which I've never heard before, I feel like we all get to benefit from that outgrowth of that beautiful practice that you have made in that thinking, because you go, thank goodness I'm here. And boy, do I feel that way about you also. So it's like you have retrained your own thinking to allow you to act courageously in ways where other people can discover your gifts rather than our friends watching us sink and shrink away Mm, in these negative environments. Meredith, I want to ask you, we have named the hegemon, we have named hegemony, the intrusion of these dominant structures, the training and belief that we are lesser and so we should accept less and we should police each other to stay safe accepting less, all that crap. We have boldly proposed that it is possible to reprogram. You have shared the impact model. Now that we know about hegemony, 
what are the bottom lines? What are the simplest steps that we can take or things we can try doing about it like that we should take away? Yeah, I just really think listen to your painful feelings, listen to your negative feelings, listen to your body's discomfort to the extent that you can. A lot of us are taught to live from the head up, but our bodies have all these signals of what our programming is. If you're having an uncomfortable feeling, that doesn't necessarily mean anything has gone wrong. It could mean something's gone wrong. It could mean that you need to care for yourself but it might mean that you have some programming about what's normal and what's not normal that could be oppressive that you could consider and embrace your own individuality, your own worthiness and the individuality and the worthiness of the people around you. So listen to the feelings, like don't ignore the smoke detector, but also look for their underlying logic. Don't assume it's a fire or not a fire, right? We like go do the impact model. And then you're saying, feel free to reprogram yeah. what you find in the logic for greater health, alignment, and well-being. And then yeah. also get ready for that to make a positive impact in other areas of your life. It's not your fault if you have oppressive belief systems, if you have self-doubt, right. if you have reactions to other people acting in ways that you don't think are normal, that you feel like you need to fix. Like that means that you are part of this community. You are part of this system. And the only thing from there is questioning whether it's serving you, questioning whether that is ongoing, how you want to be. You know, we didn't make it up on our own and it is powerful to do the reprogramming work because just like, you know, you create a new belief for yourself. Well, that positive belief that you created can also spread, you know, the same way we learn to internalize the other ones, we can learn to internalize really beautiful ones, right? There is a lady who gave a Ted talk. The whole thing is about like writing on your mirror. You are enough. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I really thought it was hokey. I thought my daughter wouldn't do it. You know, I tell my daughter to do it, but I wrote it on my mirror. She wrote it on her mirror. Then all her friends started writing it. It's like, even though we didn't create the original misogyny, racism, patriarchy, ableism yeah homophobia homophobia. like we didn't create it we internalized it it's not our fault but it can be our moment and it can be within our wherewithal to change our practice of thinking about it by detecting what has slid in there by recognizing that it's not our weakness it's just how humans are made we like have this mimetic patterning and then we get to look at it and we get to practice new thinking. Yeah. I mean, it's very powerful. And in a future episodes, we'll go through more examples of what that looks like too. Yeah, because yeah. The, the next pillar, I mean, this was number two. Yeah. The third pillar is about accountability. So when we get into accountability, we are going to take this to the next extent. So accountability in Meredith world is where we account for what is ours and what is not ours, right? right? We say, you know what? This piece of perpetuating self-policing, perpetuating misogyny, perpetuating, you know, internalized racism, this was on me and it wasn't mine to make it up. It wasn't mine to sit by while it happened in the workplace. That was others. These are others' choices and others' responsibility. So it lightens the load. It clarifies the roles. So if you feel like there is more that you need to learn about this, then are you in luck? Stay tuned because the pillars continue. And then meanwhile, please write in with your stories. We are curious today, like where has the hegemon affected your life or your confidence in your own voice? What has it been like to disentangle the you that you are choosing from all these other parts and free renters and occupants who are all up in our spaces? 
Or if there's a time when you realize you could do something, even if it wasn't really your job to do, but you did it anyway, and you are living a better life because of it, tell us all about it. Meredith, how can people write in? They can go to erisresolution.com slash story. So it's E-R-I-S resolution.com slash story. And Eris is the God of discord. And part of reprogramming hegemony is embracing the opportunity to diverge, to select joyfully discord with these ties that bind us that were never our ties. The people who protected us into complying with them probably didn't want this for us, at least in their healed levels. So this is a revolution and it's an evolution and it is very compatible with the workplace and setting us free. I just want to tell one more story because this was a story that happened for me when someone first told me your thoughts create your feelings. I was just like, absolutely not my harasser creates my feelings. Like that's ridiculous. And then the person said, okay, imagine someone that you love dies and they live in another state. Imagine someone you love, they win the lottery, but they live in another state. You don't have a feeling about it until you learn about it and have a thought about it. And to me, I just couldn't get around that logic that my most painful feelings were happening because I had a thought about them. And that meant not that they were my fault, but that I had some control over what was happening that I hadn't realized I had, that I could communicate with myself in a more empowered way. I could communicate externally in a more empowered way if I questioned what I was thinking and stopped believing thoughts that didn't serve me. So I just wanted to the feelings that. are co-arise. I mean, the Buddhist in me is like, I have lots of me's in me guys. So it's yeah. not like a specific loyalty. Don't worry if you're not a Buddhist or something, yeah. but Buddhists say the co-arising that you're saying the feelings are co-arising with the experience. I think the number one reason I revolt of the, like your thoughts, choose your feelings is that we've heard that a lot from people who are like, stop being emotional. Right. This is melodramatic. Feelings are bad. Right. You're doing this to yourself. Right. So that is the other thing that we get to decline and reject as we do this work. Your thoughts creating your feelings doesn't mean your feelings are your fault. It's or just that your that, thoughts are wrong. I mean, I had a lot of wrong. painful yeah. thoughts about being harassed and I stand by them and I'm yeah, willing and to feel that pain. Yeah. Some, if the plant was trying to kill me, yeah, not thinking about that would give not me the feeling idea. of peace. All yeah. right. And then one day in cold blood, Hero would be, I saw an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode when I was a kid. You guys watch the TV because it is creepy. Are You Afraid of the Dark episode wherein there was a movie theater with a vampire movie. And then the vampires came out of the movie in the movie theater on my TV. Yeah. And got the kids. All right. I'm like six or seven. And it's me, right? You know, I mean, we all know. And so here's me. I'm like, no, that this is like such a boundary violation. If the vampires in the movie screen come into the movie theater and I am watching that on my TV screen, what on earth is stopping that same leap from happening into my living room? And they yeah. turned off the TV. And I was like, after the movie was over, the vampires still got out of there. There is no safe. It's like, it's this whole. <laughs> so sometimes you need, this is why. Okay. We started this by saying the value of negative feelings. Yes. Is that if you don't look at them, you train yourself to ignore the fire alarm, I guess, thank God they're so loud, except when you need a new battery, it makes you wish you yeah. were already dead. But, you know, thank goodness, right? You need yeah. to get out of your bed, even yeah. though you don't want to. You need to go check that thing, get the broom handle, click the button, and yeah. then you've got to sniff around the house. And if it's not a fire, 
No big deal. But if you train yourself to ignore that thing, it will not be your fault that somebody left the gas. No one's fault. And it matters and you're worth it to get safe enough, you know, spend the time. It's not always pleasant. That's why we can do this together. That's why you get amazing frameworks and structures. It's worth it to try. Thank you for joining us today on Empower Communication. We will see you next time. The Empower Communication Podcast is produced by Same Team Media, music by Sarai Johnson.